Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. All right, well, hello and welcome to episode number two of the Small Business Surgeon. This is the podcast where we do uh, take small businesses and kind of dissect them and figure out what's going on in the... uh, Wait, under the hood. There we go. As you can tell I'm not terribly well versed at podcasting yet. However, my guest today is uh, a little bit more comfortable on the microphone than I am. I'd like to take a second and welcome Brittany Lamets. Welcome, Brittany. Hi. <laughs> oh, goodness. So we've been cutting up in Your here face. for about 30 minutes. So welcome, Brittany, to the podcast. Now, Brittany is a uh, coach and a consultant. She owns the uh, Mind Maintenance Toolbox, but she's got a whole background in business all the way from being a restaurant manager for over 10 years to uh, running a successful Etsy shop for nine years. So uh, now she's a mindset coach. So Brittany, I wanted to, uh, to chat with you and get to know you a little bit and see what you can bring to our business community and how you can help our business owners. Tell me a little bit first off about your history and where you come from. Um, I grew up in East Texas. I moved here for college okay. and loved it because I didn't have to drive 30 minutes to get to Walmart. So I stayed. <laughs> that is the, the highlight of East Texas, if you haven't been, um, is the Walmart. Yes. I noticed you call it the Walmart. It was, you know, I mean, population 3,000, little bitty. So being here is really different. Um, I love the community. I love the safety. Came here, went to college, worked in restaurants. I had worked in restaurants in high school. Um, worked my way up here. Was, was that a calling that had you working in restaurants or was that just, hey, I need a job to, uh, to get through college and then you just kind of fell into it naturally? Because I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of college students here follow that restaurant, uh, they follow that restaurant career path. If you work in a restaurant, then you're guaranteed to not starve. That is, so, I never thought of that. Yeah. Like I was really, really broke and in college. That's, that's so but true. But if I worked there, you either, you get a discount on food or like, you know, if there's mess ups or there's extra cancellations then you get free food. That makes perfect sense. So top tip from uh, Brittany, first starting out, if you are hungry, get a job at a restaurant. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right, so we're working at a restaurant and then uh, kind of how does that go? I mean, it's chaos. It's, <laughs> but it was, you know, it's fun. It's, it's exciting. It's every day's, I mean, like, it's generally the same, but it's different. Um, you get to deal with, like, a special breed of... I can cuss. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, um, yeah. when, when and where applicable? Full offense. If you don't like cuss words, just turn probably it off. Probably the wrong show. Just turn it yeah, off. It's not for you. If you've got the kids, put the headphone on. <laughs> give, them, give the kids something to listen to. Um, you get to deal with a special breed of asshole. You know, like, the customer service aspect, but that's... We call those Karens now. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that wasn't the thing, like that wasn't the phrase whenever I was in, but yeah. Um, but I mean, it was fun, and I, I always work my way up, and I love my crew. It was fun, but it's like whenever I started in food, like my dog was waiting on me at home. Okay. Nobody else. And then like I did the married thing and had kids, and then I went back to work um, a couple of years later. And it was very, very different going back to it, having kids waiting on me at home. Because before, like, I could work 60 hours a week and it wasn't a big deal. Right, right. So fundamentally, what changed? I mean, were, were you put under more pressure to perform? Were you, you know, put on tighter schedules? Did, were you able to work around the kids? Or is, is managing a restaurant with kids kind of a bit of a no-go? I was able to do it. Um, it took a lot of juggling and, like, I don't have any family here. Okay. And so that was difficult. Like I couldn't be like, hey, you know, because when you work in a restaurant, like you don't get off at five o'clock mm-hmm. normally. Like the they, we used to joke and say that the schedule it's like a recipe. It's just a suggestion, <laughs> you know. Like oh, well, it says five. Well, tough shit. We just got to rush. Like you're not yeah, going. Yeah, no, I get, I get that. But yeah. daycare doesn't care. Right. So like if you have to pick up the kids by a certain time, you have to, or you have to have somebody to help you to go do it. And so that was a bigger challenge. And then so like if I would leave to go get the kids and then take them to a sitter or to somebody else and Uh then have to go back to work. Yeah. Um, I'm missing dinner and I'm missing bedtime. And it was just like a a priority change. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, bedtime is just about the most important time that you can spend with kids. Um, But like before it was like, oh, it's, I can work doubles. I can work all day. I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. But then it was all of a sudden like, well, I'm, I'm not being hundred percent at work and I'm not being hundred percent at home. And I know most working parents feel that way. Like it's just, it's just a struggle. It's, you know, some weeks your family gets more and some weeks work gets more. But it, it got to where I was like consistently missing enough that I was like, okay, this I'm not okay with this anymore. And so is that what kind of 
triggered the need for you to look at owning a business then or is well i started my etsy shop um when i was a stay-at-home mom because i i've always been a maker and i needed mm -hmm. something to do um i started crocheting i taught myself how to crochet i'm left-handed thank you okay um yeah my grandmother could never teach me because i'm left-handed um she didn't but I, to just look in a mirror you know what what <laughs> It like she tried, she tried, I, and, tried I, I and, and couldn't it. do it. I get it. Um, but my it was my son's uh, first Christmas, and I really wanted like a cute beanie for mm -hmm. him, but they're like twenty bucks, and it was twenty bucks that we didn't have, being a single income household. Right, right. But I was like, well, I can get like a three dollar thing of yarn and just figure it out. Just make you know, one. And just yeah, yeah sure. I YouTubed it and, and did it, and I practiced and got pretty good at it. Um, and I was making them for my friends, and one of my friends in particular was like, you should sell these on Etsy, and I was like. Fuck you. That's stupid. Like nobody, <laughs> like it's so saturated. Nobody's going to buy anything from me. That's really dumb. You know, I, I just enjoy making them, whatever. And she kept pushing and she's like, no, I think your stuff is really different and it's, you know, you could sell it, blah, blah, blah. You're making them anyway. And she looked into Etsy and it was, I mean, it was the cheapest option at the time, right, you know, right. like you don't have to build a website or anything. And so I was like, okay. So, whatever. I mean, it seems like a natural place to start for a lot of right. stay at home parents. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I've known a lot of guys that have gotten into selling stuff online through, uh, you know, clearing out garages and going and, and buying bits and pieces from sales and then turn around and having like a bric-a-brac shop. Garage. On, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, and uh, again, I've known um, a lot of, uh, a lot of moms uh, that, that are now successful business owners in other fields kind of cut their teeth. They generally go one of two ways. They generally will go like an MLM to get mm -hmm. their initial sales start out, or they'll go with the kind of Etsy or eBay stores and stuff like that and do little crafty stuff and, and sell it. And I, I know there was a period of time where several people I knew all had little craft shops uh, on eBay, or they all had little uh, LuLaRoe shops. And mm. they, they sold leggings in an MLM setup. So it, it seems like a fairly common pathway going um, from self-employment, sorry, from employment to stay-at-home mom to small business owner. Uh, it seems like that's a, a very natural progression. Well, right, because like, especially like if you came from the working world and then you come home, you know, even if you have the most supportive partner in the world, you it's it takes a bit of adjusting because up to that point, like you've made your own money and you've contributed mm -hmm. and then you come home and you're not contributing and not that you're not doing anything. Like most spouses couldn't afford to pay the stay at home spouse right, for everything right. that they do. But it's still, it's like, I mean, for me at least like it came with guilt and like initially it was okay. Well, do I like, I have to ask for permission to spend money because technically it's not my money because I'm not making, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, it was a lot. And then juggling with the kids. And so it's, you're right. Like I know a lot of stay at home moms that it's eventually, well, I feel like I need to be contributing or I feel like I need to do something or I have this passion or this hobby that I want to see if I can turn it into something mm -hmm. for a little bit. Not like I'm looking to make a million dollars off of it, but just right. something. Right. And so then they'll start. And just even, you know, 500 bucks a month in profit can make a heck of a, a lot of difference to the bottom line in formula and diapers. That's and a pretty good just, grocery bill. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know because, you know, we, we, uh, when my kids were born, uh, my wife, she was a stay-at-home mom. And, right. you know, I had to I had to pick up all the income. But at the same time, she had those feelings of guilt about spending mm -hmm. money on stuff. So um, she ended up in uh, in a LuLaRoe setup, yeah. which uh, uh, I wasn't a terrible <laughs> fan of. But <laughs> um, that's a story for a whole other day about doing LuLaRoe parties. But it's just the, the feeling the need, like, I need to do something to contribute, right. to help. So if... Somebody's listening right now, real quick, we'll just get sidetracked for a minute. Somebody's listening right now that, that's on the fence here, and uh, you know, this is a podcast for small businesses. It's, it's for, for people that want to be entrepreneurs, people that are entrepreneurs, people that are looking to kind of level up in entrepreneur stuff, but you've got the people that want to be entrepreneurs. What kind of advice you know, right now would we give to somebody sitting on the fence saying, you know what, I think I want to start an Etsy store? Just do it. There's no reason not to. Um, for me, Etsy was the cheapest option and it was also the easiest because I didn't have to build a website or even like looking at one that kind of has templates picked for you don't have to go through and pick all of those things. Right. It was really, really easy. It's 20 cents a listing. They take some other fees, but like it's it's supposed to be comparable to like if you sell on Amazon handmade, mm -hmm. all of that, like the fees are pretty similar across the board. Right. People have complained about it on Etsy, whatever. I'm like, well, then go sell somewhere else. You're still going to get fees. That's true. I mean, you, you right. still have to account for the building of the platform so and the traffic. For, kind of I like stuff. it for that just because like, it's like super, super easy to start. 
you just, as long as you have your product or like for me, like uh, with something else, a couple of the other things that I make, I can do digital mock-ups. Okay. So I'm not having to physically make each item in order to photograph it and then so list it for sale. Are you still crocheting stuff or do you kind of, have you kind of expanded into different markets? There? I took all of my crochet stuff off in 2017. Okay. So like occasionally I'll have like a close family friend or somebody be like, hey, can you make me a baby blanket or mm -hmm. whatever? And sure, I can do it. But I'm like, I'm not going to have it ready next week. Right. Like, right. I just don't for have sure. the time now. Sure. So now I sell other stuff. Like? <laughs> <laughs> my, my bread and butter um, since 2017 has been custom doormats. Okay. And those are, what, are they a... a $50 product, $100 product. I'm trying to look and pitch here. And if we're, we're seeing Etsy, um, I, I want to show how easy it could be to, to make an income on Etsy. And the way I always break it down to people when they come to me and say, look, I, I don't know if I want to start a business or not, right? I say, look, you're going to make, what, $10 an hour at work, right? Or 15 even. If you say $15 an hour by eight hours a day, you're looking at $120 before taxes, right? So to cover $120, you gotta find 12 items that you can sell. Sorry, you gotta find one item that you can sell 12 times to make $10 profit per item. And when I break it down like that to folks, they, they kind of go, oh, okay. So um, what kind of profit margins uh, do you kind of search for on Etsy? Are you looking to make $5 20 times? Or are you looking to make $20 five times? Have you found anything that kind of fits within that Etsy groove that, um, that you can share with the guys that are listening? So you like reverse engineer it. And that's what I did. Whenever I came home from the restaurant, I looked mm -hmm. at, um, okay, how much was my salary? Break that down to how much do I need to make every week or every day? Mm -hmm. And every day is gonna be a little bit different. Um, my initial goal was to make $100 a day. And then I was making up the salary that I walked away from. Right, right. Um, but the doormats, for sure, I well, I started making masks. I made masks at the beginning of the year, like before they were mandatory, and then when they were mandatory, but you couldn't find them anywhere, that was my biggest profit margin. Right. Um, but the doormats, I were pretty good. Pro I I break it down to how much do I want to pay myself per hour. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, that's the way that I look at everything, and then I just charge accordingly. Like Ooh, I don't want to make less than twenty five dollars an hour. No, no, no. I guess uh, maybe misinterpreted my question. Uh, do do items that are $20 sell better on Etsy than items that are $100? It depends. Have, have you noticed it's, any it's, kinda... No, it depends. Like I have a doormat that's $30 and then I have one that's $100. Right. but I've I'm... sold the $30 one more. I don't think it, it depends on what it is. Right, right. I'm thinking some, because the next question when you say, oh, I want to open an Etsy store is, well, what, what am I supposed you, to sell? What are you selling? And that's what I'm kind of digging right. at here is, is somebody going to have a little more success Are you going to sell jewelry? Because there's lots of people that sold jewelry, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but what are you going to do that's going to set yourself apart right. from these other people? Yes. Like, whenever I started, there weren't nearly as many people that sold doormats as there are now. But there was still enough that I, I hesitated. Do you have, like, a doormat that you know, says, fuck off on it? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what sets me apart. That's outstanding. I have, so you know, full offense, cussing, whatever, sarcasm. That's what I wanted to focus on because that's, it's on brand for me and allows me to be true to who I am. Um, and it sets my shop apart from the other shops where yeah, they're yeah. all cute and pretty and Instagram and whatever, you know, cute welcome with their last name. And I can make those. You have to ask for them though. Like when you come to my shop, it's like, you're going to see one that says like, please leave by nine, come back with tacos, fuck off. <laughs> Just so you know, there's like a lot of kids in here. Um, what up sucker? And it's got some succulents on it. Like, no, I like come like back that. with tacos. Right. I, I would totally buy that. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll slip a link in there here so uh, people can buy the, uh, the come back with tacos, uh, doormat. I like that. So anyway, you have now a successful Etsy store and, uh, You've had a coaching and consulting business too. Tell me how long you've been a coach. How long have you been that in the arena? Officially? Just on and off or? Uh, I mean, like I've I've helped like my friends and other local business owners, um, I guess for over a year. Um, and I was like, I'm, I like helping, mm -hmm. I enjoy it. So I, you know, willingly for free would help people. And then I had people who would come to me like either like oh well I heard that you help so-and-so or right. I saw that you have an Etsy shop I have one and I need help or so-and-so referred me to you mm -hmm. and said that you could help with this so fill me out a little bit about the focus of your coaching and how that works for clients um I focus on 
I guess like helping smaller businesses that are either like just starting out or they're wanting to scale up mm-hmm. and they don't know what the hell to do. So what's the, like, what's the biggest thing they come across? Is it like, is it uh, is it a mindset issue? Is it a fear issue? Is it just a plain old knowledge issue? It's what? usually a mindset and like most people, I don't care how big your business is, like they're, they'll, they do different things where they're like standing in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, or like as they're scaling up, it's standing, <coughs> oops. Standing in your own way. Um, Hold on a minute, Kyle. Yes. Can you unfuck something for us, please? <laughs> All right, and we'll just we'll just edit that out. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, ca- just carry leave on. It. It's fine. Carry on while Kyle fixes that. It fell. We we lost a camera, Kyle. He threw his phone. And- I I threw nothing. Don't you don't you blame me? All right, so let's um, let's put that back together. We'll uh, we'll include that in the uh, in the edit. The camera there committing uh, suicide. Um, it's yeah, you got a, uh, must be a terrible podcast. It's okay. It's okay. It's probably right. me. So we are a uh, we're a small business coach now. Um, yeah. So like if they're if they're starting out or scaling up and they they feel very scattered, like they don't know which direction to go in. Um, they have a bunch of different ideas, but they don't know what order to put them in. And mm-hmm. then they also like don't have connections with, okay, well, I want to shoot a video right. of me going in and doing this service at such and such's house, but I don't know who to contact, Absolutely, you know, or I really, really need help with marketing. Mm-hmm. So like you're kind of like a small business connector, which yes. is, is similar to what I appear to have become uh, quite uh, by accident. Um, just, it, it seems to be happening and I, I quite enjoy it. Um, I'm not sure I want to get into, uh, into the coaching arena yet, but, uh, maybe, maybe there in the future, but you kind of specialize in mindset issues, don't mm-hmm. you? I want to explore that a little bit with you. Um, because I know we were talking just a little, uh, before the show about me being afraid of, uh, of doing yoga and I've always wanted to do yoga. I just, you know, like there's all like lycra and women and bums and they'd think I was a perv and I'd fall over. You know, how do you how do you approach a, a mindset issue with a business owner and help coach them through something like that? So, like, say they have this fear. If you're afraid of yoga, like you really, really want to try. You've made up scenarios in your head that haven't happened that probably Absolutely. are not going to happen, and you're letting them hold you back. Okay, so let's pretend I'm a business owner for a minute, which I am. Uh, we'll pretend it's fine. Let, let, let's pretend I'm a business owner. Let's pretend I own a, uh, a coffee shop and I'm afraid of something. How do you counsel me through that? What can I want to give the the guys listening to this podcast little bits of information that they can take away with them and kind of apply to their own uh, their own fears? Because you know, one thing I've learned uh, in the very short time that I've been doing these interviews and doing these podcasts and stuff is that everybody kind of has the same. Uh, They've got the same problems uh, across different arenas, but all kind of the problems, they all kind of come back to being the same core issues. Um, So what would a coffee shop owner be afraid of? And and how would you guide me through that as a coffee shop owner with a fear? You'd probably be afraid of failing. Be afraid of failing your employees, um, being a disappointment, you know, not making enough money to keep the doors open or having to cut hours and you're letting people down. Mm -hmm. Um, be afraid of, you know, because that's the worst case scenario, right? Right, right, absolutely. So then what happens? Then you have to shut the doors and then you can't support your family and then you've let a lot of people down and, oh my gosh, that's just a tremendous amount of pressure on my shoulders. I don't get that because if you're afraid of that, why start a business in the first place? Right, well, that's what sets people apart is like there are some people that have those, I mean, everybody has those fears. I, I've failed so often, I'm, I'm almost immune to it. I just make sure to write down you my learn mistakes from it. and right, not right, repeat right. But not everybody has that attitude and so it's this, this negative thing and it was, you know, a lot of it is like, what did your parents tell you about fear? What did your teachers tell you about fear? Like mm-hmm. when is the first time you experienced shame? What was that like? Man, you make me think now. Uh-huh. Don't remember. Mm, probably was about four, and uh, I wanted some bouncy balls from the toy store. Uh, my mom said, no, I couldn't have them. So I waited till nobody was looking, and I put them in my pocket, and um, I, I walked out with them. As a, as a four-year-old, that seemed like the best decision to make. Now, the shame I experienced was twofold. One, when my sister in the back of the car dug in my pocket and said, what are these? And uh, I got I got spanked uh, for stealing. But two, which made even greater impression on me, was when I got, and I can picture it now. Man, I can picture walking up the steps. Uh, my parents took me back to the store, and I had to walk up the steps into the manager's office, and I had to hand him those bouncy balls back and I had to apologize. And of course I burst into tears. I was right. four years old. But right. that is my first memory of feeling shame. 
It's my first memory of feeling ashamed. And you can see it. Of my actions. Yeah, I can picture it. I can still remember walking up the steps in that shop. Uh, it was boys in, uh, in, in Moulton. It was boys mercantile at the time, or whatever it's called now. I think it's still boys. Um, but it was, man, I, I can remember it. I can remember the shame. I can remember we were driving past uh, Greengate when my sister reached in my pocket. I can remember we were in a maroon fucking marina sedan. Like, I mean, I remember it. And that was my first shame. So there you go, the uh, Raw and Honest Business Owners podcast talking about thefts by four-year-olds. Um, That's how powerful shame is. Absolutely. So everybody, when I ask them, what's the first time that you experienced shame? They have to sit and think for a second, but as soon as they do, they like I can that tell you what just... the room smells like. Mm-hmm. I can tell oh, you God, what yeah. I was wearing. I yeah. that's how powerful it is. So we dive into that. Okay. Right. So then, growing up, other times that you experience shame, criticism, fear of what other people think, rejection, all of those things, because that has molded you to be who you are now, and then also why you're afraid of certain things that other people would look at and go, "Why the fuck are you afraid of that?" I would tell you it's molded me to be who I was. Right. I have spent quite a lot of time over the last few years breaking that. Right, cycle. which is good. Um, Not everybody does that. I was bullied very, very heavily in in school. And For your accent? <laughs> no, we all have the same accent. Um, I'm sorry you were just, bullied. No, I'm not. You know, it sucked at the time. Um, yeah, actually, most of my bullies now are, are fat and bald, and you know, living in shitty lives with shitty jobs. So, fair play to them. Uh, good job on the bullying, lads. Well done. It worked out well for you. Um, you know, I, no, honestly, I always thought oh, one day I'm going to kick the shit out of him because he bullied me, and I, I, I went back home, and the, the guy was such a depressed loser. I thought, well, wow, he's, he's kicked the shit out of himself. Karma showed up to party with didn't, buckets, huh? Yeah. Didn't, didn't even mess with it. I, 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 I actually felt bad for him. Yeah. You know, and if, if that's all you've got, but then I, I grew to understand bullying. Why kids bully, and there's there's always generally uh, negative reasons within the life of the child that's causing right. them to lash out like that. So I get it now, you know. And I don't have any anger towards the kids that bullied me, but what that did was absolutely destroy my self confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very very hard time, even up to my early thirties, in making eye contact with people. I would constantly look at my feet and look at my shoes because all around high school, I walked around high school looking at my feet, so I didn't make eye contact with any of the kids, so they wouldn't bully me. Right, and it wasn't that bad. I mean, I had friends. We had little cliques. Right. I was, I was, I volunteered as a librarian. I was in band. You know, you can imagine that it wasn't like I wasn't like super popular and a, a all-star athlete and any of that kind of stuff. But yeah, there were there were bigger. What are you kids. trying to say about band kids? We're weird. Don't look at me like that. He's weird. I'm not weird. Band kids are weird, like straight up. Um, but yeah, I spent the last five years really on personal development and training and courses. I mean, not even that, it was probably less than that. What made you um, want to start that journey? Um, the, the failure of a business, I mean, which, which gives me, I've built two now seven-figure businesses and I'm working on a third because the first one, um, whilst it was very high in revenue, it was very slim in profit, so I sold it and uh, got out of there and uh, it was a car dealership and they say uh, you know if you go into a car dealership and you come out with your shirt then you've done a very good job <laughs> so, um, so you did well the guy the guys i sold it to went under in about 18 months so it, it was a yeah it was a, a nasty one for them but was we, that hard to watch it, it was because it was my baby but right. when they bought it uh, they rebranded it and they renamed it so it wasn't really that hard to watch it was like yeah well you know i couldn't and just you know like I watching something that you built be like well yeah you guys it, fuck that it, up cool it, they i made enough money off it to where it was whatever i wasn't yeah, i wasn't hurting uh, i don't want to disclose but i wasn't yeah. i wasn't in pain from it and uh, you know the second one um i lost due to being a poor steward of the money and being an alcoholic so um when my mom who was 63 at the time whispered in my ear um sort your fucking life out right as i was leaving for the airport last time i saw her um i figured i better do something about it and so i uh, stopped drinking and here we are you know it's been uh, it's been a hell of a journey but it makes me now through this podcast and through what i'm doing with the local small business groups it makes me want to give back and it makes me want to show people that hey you can build a seven figure business and not fuck it up right you know i mean i sold the first one because the profit margins were so slim even though we we're doing massive amounts of revenue i mean we'd sell 20 to 30 cars a month right so if you take uh, average 
15 grand a car uh, times that by 20 that's 300 grand in revenue every month moving through the business but what are you making off exactly and then you know you extrapolate that over the year and you're doing three and a half four million dollars in sales a year um, for a couple of guys out of a out of a shed in a field that we've made a car dealership out of it, and it was great where was it at um, it's on uh, on Highway 21. Okay. Uh, it was called Specialist Motor Sales, and uh, at the time I sold it, we were the highest rated uh, independent car dealership in Texas. Like completely independent, we had 26 five star reviews on Google, um, all of them perfect, and uh, we were a note lot as well. We carried notes, so for a buy here pay here car dealer to have 26 positive reviews and non negative, I mean it was just unheard of. And again, we took most of what I'd learned about internet marketing and uh, applied it to uh, to cars and uh, it was great it was just far too many hours a week right and then when i looked at where the money was going and why i wasn't making profit it was all to do with the fact that i did a lot of it on floor plan and you fact you've got to pay interest on a floor plan you got to pay opening and closing fees on the floor plan then you got we didn't have a major franchise that we were buying trade-ins from so we got all our trade-ins from auction and you're paying 250 dollars auction fee for the cars then you're paying to ship each car back to college station and then it just goes on and on the so that's fees a lot of money everything. just so, out yeah we're making money but we're spending a lot to make it right. and they're they are 80 and 90 hour weeks like no joke right right right. a lot, lot of people say a lot of people say 90 hours a week but i've looked on i've seen facebook memories and we're there at 4 30 in the morning and we're there at 10 30 at night and it's just yeah it was uh it was a trip it was great it was fun but at the end of the day we just had uh just had our second kid uh, charlie had just been born and uh, we had to kind of take, I had to take a look and, and be like, right, this is, this is just. Right, like, like what are you doing? What I, want, what I want to do in my life. I want to go raise my kid. Right. And so we, uh, um, I, I wasn't sure about selling it. And some some lads that really wanted to buy a car dealership kept coming by and coming by and coming by. And eventually we worked out a deal for it. And uh, that was pretty much that. And, um, you know, when they, uh, when they had a tough time, I still owned the land. And uh, a developer had come through and I was wanting to buy the land. And. I thought, well, I can either launch another car dealership or sell it, and uh, I ended up selling it. So, which, so which, now you're done. Well, it was my intent in the first place. When we bought it, it was a, a run-down, derelict old car dealership in, you know, out on Highway 21. Everything was rusted. Everything was, yeah, it was terrible. And uh, I went in and spent probably eighty or $90,000 fixing it up. Uh, we put asphalt down, and we remodeled the building completely, and we painted everything, and painted the fences. And we, I mean, we made it right. Right. And, um, and make it nice. Oh, there it goes again. Huh, Kyle. <laughs> so on uh, next week's episode of Small Business Surgeon, watch as we glue our cameras in place to the uh, We're gonna to the show table. you how to do a professional setup. Uh, this should be, have you tried licking it? We tried a Windex, it didn't work. Uh, try a bit it's of not the same as licking it. It's not the same as spit, mate, yeah. Get that old prison lube on it, you'll be fine. HR. Yeah, I am HR. <laughs> HR. Yeah. Kyle says HR about four times I a day. I feel harassed. Poor That's okay. Kyle. One of my employees quits like every week. Kyle is going to end up as uh, as Jamie on this show, I'm sure. Jamie. So now it's just going to knock the sling off when it breaks. Yep. At least we'll get the whole job done this time. Goodness me. <laughs> All right, so back on track. Yeah, now, we've, uh, now we've got that done. So yeah, my uh, my time as a car dealer was was fun, but uh, the fact that I've built two seven figure companies and uh, and again sold one, lost the other, um, it gives me a, a unique perspective on what it takes to do it. It's like uh, when you have a race car and you blow the engine up. When you pull the engine apart, you can say, "Oh, this is what I this is what I messed up." And so uh, so that's where we're at. So I'm not really afraid of anything anymore, uh, and I have no shame anymore because I've already gone broke twice. You know, that's, it's gone. There's nothing. Was that really hard? Yeah. Yeah. You seem like someone I mean, who like prides himself on like being the best at what he does. Absolutely. God, it was awful. Um, it was awful. I mean, you know, the, especially the second time, because I was essentially retired at 36. Um, I had supplement brands that we sold online and, uh, you know, we would sell on subscription programs between three and a half and 4,000 subscribers a month generally was our level. And, uh, you know, those tickets were anywhere from 100 to 160, 180 bucks a month each. So obviously we got a ton of revenue coming mm -hmm. through the company and uh, I got uh, some business partners where we were splitting it up and stuff, but I was still really, really well set. And um, I lost that business. I went to the fact that, you know, my partners were trusting me to watch it. And um, I was drinking far too much and trusting somebody else to watch it. And I didn't catch, uh, a vital mistake and it ended up in chargebacks and us losing our ability to process credit cards and uh, we ended up losing the whole damn thing over you know you got 
three and a half thousand customers you're going to bill this month and you can't send them a bill and uh, yeah it all came down very 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 quickly uh, probably two to three weeks between us discovering the problem and the whole thing imploding on itself and However, at that point how long had you worked it uh about 20 months um from absolute startup to 350 400 grand a month um yeah so Ouch. but well i'm doing it again you know yeah. that's where we're at and and this time as, as i'm on this journey you know i'm, I'm inviting everybody to, uh, to to come along and watch but um back to what you're getting at um me being unique in the fact that i'm not really afraid of anything anymore um, most small business owners are afraid of that failure, and I'll let you all know that you know, going through that failure is is a uh, it's a defining moment. Um, it, it does get rid of the fear. Um, so anyway, I own a coffee shop. How do you coach me through my fears? So if you're afraid of failing, mm-hmm. we'll sit and talk about why you're afraid of failing. Worst case scenario, what's going to happen? Well, I have to shut the doors, and I can't pay the bills, and I can't pay my employees, and then I have to go get a different job to support my family, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I mean, that sucks, but... It sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Is that the end of the world? Mm -mm. Does anybody die? Nope. Well, no. So is it really that bad? I would say there's two criteria you can judge your success on. Number one, the sun will always come up in the morning, and number two, they cannot cut your balls off, metaphorically. Because you don't have... Yeah. I'm not going to say tits, am I? But I carry them in my purse. It's okay. As, as, as a man, those are the two worst things. If right. the sun doesn't come up, the job's completely fucked. And if somebody cuts your balls off, you're fairly well fucked. Right. So for me to go into it, and I, I try to tell people, because, again, I'm not, a, uh, I'm not set up as a business coach. That's not why I started doing this. But people do come to me for advice. Mm-hmm. Like, again, what's the worst that can happen? Right. And they'll but go, if you get them to like sit and think about that, like not that those things aren't bad. No, no, not at all. But they're not the end of the world. And then, okay, cool. So now that we've got that out on the table, that's what you're afraid of. Worst case scenario, like, because the absolute worst case scenario would be like your favorite people would die, right? Right. Or that you would die. Well, that's not going to happen. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So then let's work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, What can we do to prevent your worst fears coming to fruition? Right. Sell more coffee, obviously. Right. But that's, again, it's, okay, well, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall because I don't know how to market or I don't know what to do or it could just be like the right connection. So once you pass by fear then, because I know you're more of a mindset coach, uh, really. Once you pass by fear, what's the most common problem that, that most people have that you encounter? Because for me, it's not knowing what they want their business to be. I am shocked at the number of small business owners that I've talked to over the last six weeks that have no idea what they want. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you find that to be a problem on your clients as well? Mm-hmm. Like if I'm asking, if I ask for goals or if I say, you know, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and imagine you as your best self mm-hmm. living your best life. What does that look like? Because that was my next uh, question. I don't know. Was so that like you've you, never thought about that? How do you coach a client through that? Because for the guys listening at home, you know, I really wanted to draw some some value out of this. But how do you coach a client through going from I don't know what I want to be to this is where I'm going and this is my plan to get there? How do you? What's your process for taking somebody through that? So I sit and I we figure out what their priorities are. Okay. You know, like, and I'll, I'll give them a lot of like my examples. Like whenever I figured out that I wanted to leave the restaurant and I wanted to come home, I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do, but I knew that I was done doing that. Mm -hmm. So like you're either moving towards something or away from something. Absolutely. Right. So my priorities that made me leave that job were I wanted to spend as much time with my family as possible. Mm -hmm. I didn't want someone else to have control over my paycheck because the year that I left, my husband had been fired abruptly with no warning no write-ups or anything and that was very scary because there's this perceived security in working a normal job and having a paycheck right right for sure but it's perceived Mm -hmm. because i mean in texas is an at-will state they can fire you whenever for whatever absolutely and that that was a big wake-up call and i was like i don't want to give that much control over my family's well-being to someone ever again Mm -hmm. so that's another priority okay cool um i really would like as much time freedom or flexibility as possible because up to that point working for other people I hadn't had it and that was frustrating you know like hey I can take off to go have lunch with so-and-so or whatever so those are my priorities so what, what at do the you time find... I couldn't say like oh my goal is I want to make two hundred thousand dollars a year what do you find most of your clients priorities are is it more time with their family mm-hmm. is it stabilizing payroll is it you know 
It's financial security. Mm-hmm. Not having, like, most people aren't like, I want fuck you money. They're like, I want to make enough money and have enough money that I don't have to worry about money. Like, I that, that I know that the bills are going to be paid. When we go to the grocery store, I don't really have to worry about what the total is going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if we have an emergency, like, oh, hey, we just ran over some nails and I need two new tires. Right. Or my kid needs this. Like, I just don't want to have to worry about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, and then secondary is it would be nice to have something to pass on to my children. But the the immediate thing is I just want financial security. Right, right. Across the board. I don't care what their business is, how much money they do or don't have. That's always a big concern. I mean, that's all. That's the only reason I go to work is to right. become financially right. secure. And I'm a lot more secure than, than I've, I've been at times in the past. But I still have to come to work every day and go, you know what? I need to do this. I need to do this. I mean, i got to make. 20 or 30 grand a month just to kind of stand still. Right. So, I mean, everybody's got, uh, you know, those different zeros. Um, But security is pretty much everyone's need. What I have found is that most people know they want to be secure. They know they don't want to work for someone else. And once they achieve that, they kind of stop. And then they come to me and they say, well, Sam, we've had a wall. My business isn't growing. Mm-hmm. So my next question to you, Miss Brittany, is how do you help people that have that job that is their business, that are working in their business every day, they're paying the bills, they've got financial stability just, and now they've hit that wall and they can't grow. What's your advice for somebody to grow through that? What's the process you carry a client You know, to? there would have been an easier way for you to do this with me. I've not Instead idea. of asking me to come on the, you could have just scheduled a consultation. I'm fine. <laughs> would you like me to tell you how? I, would you like me to tell you how I do it? No. All right then. <laughs> I'm interviewing you. Now, Are you? Yeah, I can. I can. I can tell you how I do it. But yeah. I, I'm interested in how, how you would do it. So whenever they say that, okay, well, what are your priorities? What are your goals? Why do you do this in the first place? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like whenever you start a project, it's really easy to be really gung ho about it because your motivation tank is full. Absolutely. But then they've gotten to the point where their motivation tank is empty and they've kind of lost sight of the finish line. For me, that's like most people I talk to, it's about 18 months, two years. Right. They, they, they're right. breaking or in. Or they've, they've worked themselves to burnout. Yes. And yeah. then, you know, it's they're in this pit of despair and... And I've been there several times, like not only in my own business, but working for someone, you know, working 60 hour weeks, several weeks in a row is real, real quick to yeah. burn out and just fuck this. I don't even want to be here anymore. Absolutely. I completely and you can agree. love the job. It's just, it's yeah. just too much. I, no, I completely agree. Completely. So agree. then, okay, if you can't tell me why you're doing this, what are you doing? If you don't know why you started a business or why you're continuing to do this, it's not, well, at the end of the day, I really, really enjoy this. You know, whatever the business is, is because I I like helping people or I really, really like making things with my hands or whatever. It's it's all you have to figure out in you why. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this? I, I run across that a lot. And you find that a lot of business owners will achieve their priorities and then in achieving their priorities, they fail to set goals for the next step. So you covering your why, I mean, I, I, I go They also than... don't stop to celebrate the victory. Yes. That's a really, really big thing. Like, yes. so it's, it's, you're constantly climbing mountains and then looking over and going, well, that one's taller than this one mm-hmm. and not celebrating. Like I just climbed a fucking mountain mm-hmm. and I'm at the top of it. Holy yeah. shit. That's cool. No, that one's taller. So I got to climb it I, again. I know entrepreneurs that do that. You're just chasing happiness. Yes. And one thing I've found, I don't know if you coach this or not, I don't know if it's on your radar, but going back to mindset, mm-hmm. um, one thing I've found is, uh, is practicing gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single day I write down a minimum, and sometimes it's quite a few more, but a minimum of five things that I'm grateful for. And uh, I normally do it outside after I drop the kids off at school. I'm drinking my coffee and I write my notes for the day and I write down what I'm grateful for. And that reminds me that the things I'm grateful for make me happy. Yep. And I'm happy every day. I'm happy along the way. And I've only been doing that for just just under a year. And the immense change it's made in my life and in my stress level, because I was always looking at something and going, oh man, I'm going to be happy when. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I'll, you're just moving the goalposts. I'll, I'll be happy when we land this contract. I'll be happy when this renovation gets done. I'll and then be happy did it happen? Well, yeah, because I'm happy every day now because I practice gratitude. <laughs> but 
in the past. No, right, absolutely that's what not. I'm oh man, I'll be happy when I can sell these these next five cars and get to this point in the checking account. Oh man, I'll be happy when you know whatever happens. Right. And it just, you put this thing up on a pedestal in your right. head, and then you get there and you just kind of get deflated because it, it doesn't have what you imagined that it would have for you. But science has shown that you get more dopamine triggered in the pursuit of your goal than you do in the achievement of your goal. Mm -hmm. And that's often why people forget to stop and celebrate the fact that they've made that goal because they'll hit that goal and they'll be go, oh, well, shit. Cool. Well, I want another hit, so I'm going to start chasing something else. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, a real, that's a real problem with, uh, with, with some guys until they learn to uh, um, actually write down and be grateful for the things they've got and be mindful for the things they've got because there's, there's a guy uh, the same as you 10 years ago would absolutely give his left arm to be in a position where you are today. Right. You know, Brittany 10 years ago is far more knowledgeable and involved. Oh, sorry, Brittany today. <laughs> I don't got know, that, maybe. Got that backwards. <laughs> Brittany today is far more knowledgeable and evolved than Brittany 10 years ago. And it's the, the same with me. I wouldn't want to be judged on the guy I was five years ago right. when I was selling thousands of supplements online and drinking all day. And I, I don't like that guy. Right. Um, I feel a, a much better guy now. Um, so we've covered fear. Um, what about getting in their own way? How often do you find that business owners are their own worst enemy? All the fucking time. <laughs> Every single one that I talk to. Give us an example or two and then let us know what you do to get business owners out of their own head. Their, um, the big one is focusing on uh, perfection. Instead of taking massive imperfect action, it's, okay, well, I'll do this when I have everything right. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so are you are you ever going to launch? Because everybody else is saying, like, oh, your product is great. This is great. Well, well, I just need a few more. So it's almost like that's kind of wrapped up in fear because, like, it's good enough. You could do right. it. But you're afraid because of what you think somebody might say that's not perfect or... It's I'm holding back because once I actually launch and I go, then I'm, yeah, it's trying. Kyle. Then I'm putting myself out mm -hmm. for, you know, or under the microscope for, for judgment and scrutiny. It's coming up Come again, but your, your box thing, thing your, your, your box trick. Look right, at your box. We need you to so good. sort that out. It's just mate. not suctioned to the table. You didn't lick it. You didn't lick it. I'm not going to lick it. Maybe just Man. spit on it. I mean, I just Windex this table. It's not clean. It's definitely clean if you use Windex. Is Windex clean things? It's like the cure-all, like Windex and coconut oil and breast milk. Honestly, yeah. Just put Windex in the COVID vaccine. We'll be good. Yeah. That is why you don't work at Fujifilm, Kyle. The guys that are developing the vaccine here in College Station. Oh, I thought they just made cameras and shit. No. No. It's a cover. They should, like, yeah, it's, it's a government conspiracy, mate. They should change the name. Totally got off track yet again. So perfectionism. Well, look so at this they, podcast. They, I mean, right. it, it's, we, I've, I've had this on the table for the last three weeks. We're not ready yet. I wanted to do some. But uh, you're not the norm. Like most people would, oh no. Like whenever I, you showed me the studio the other day, you know, you were kind of apologizing for a couple of things, mm -hmm. which I thought was funny. And I'm like, don't, because I get it. Like I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm not looking around no. and going, oh, well, this is shit. And this seems to be like, I don't, we're I don't We're right care. in the middle of remodeling a space. Right. That I'm doing in I think it's cool that you were projects. like, like, yeah, there's still work that needs to be done, but fuck it. We'll just do it live. Like, With, let's go, like, you know, like Bill O'Reilly. Right. Yeah. We'll let's just, live. let's go. Mm -hmm. So most people aren't like that. And so they, they let the perfectionism hold them back. And then the fear of, well, once I actually start, what else am I opening myself up to? Because that, that's a totally different level of vulnerability, right. whether you're making something or you're selling a service and selling yourself, it's here is this thing I made. That's kind of like a piece of me. What do you think? And you can't say anything other than you love it or it's going to really hurt my feelings, right? That's true, yeah. Oh, your friends and family are going to go, oh, it's great. But then, like, the first criticism or negative review, that can be devastating to people. And just the thought of that is enough to hold people back That's from so ever strange. starting. And it sucks, but, again, it's wrapped up in fear. But, you know, I heard that you know, a, uh, a true friend would stab you in the front, never in the back. And, um, you know, I've had to have some serious conversations with my friends when they've been fucking up. But uh, Andy Fasola was saying the other day, you know, if you're fat, nobody tells you you're fat. Uh, if, if, if you're out of shape, nobody tells you you're out of shape. If you're doing something wrong, nobody tells you you're doing something wrong. Um, nobody has the courage to step up and 
put you outside of your comfort zone so you can make a positive change in your life. So and make you a better person. It's super important that you ask people you trust enough. And I posted a little bit about this on Facebook earlier today. Um, you know, I, I was in a consult with a girl yesterday and she was embarrassed to tell me what the dream was for her company. And that embarrassment came because she wanted to do, um, right now she's doing personal training, and she wanted to take her personal training business and move it more into the mental health space for overweight and abused women uh, so that they could have somewhere safe, uh, a safe space to work out, to lose weight, and to get a better self-image and to help with the mental health issues. And the three people she told about it had laughed at her and said, you'll never do that. There's no money in that. Uh, Are you kidding? No. Why don't I, I make that up? <laughs> That's a pretty intricate uh, lie well, to concoct. I don't know. You're, you're, <laughs> you're not from Texas. I don't know. That's To me, I'm like, that sounds really incredible. And it's That's really cool I that you've got like a servant heart and you want to help people. And if your friends laugh at you, then you need to surround yourself you with better, better people. Friends. <laughs> you need That's, better friends because yeah, they sound like dicks. That's kind of what, that's kind of what I told her. Um, but, you know, again, the, the, the problem may have been it might have been her family that was telling her that. And, you know... Um, I'm part of a group uh, called Apex, and they always talk about the family of choice. Mm -hmm. And you can choose who the closest people are to you. And um, I think a lot of business owners, um, again, going back to, hey, look, I made this, and the fear of rejection, I think when their closest people to them are negative, and they're keeping these negative people around because they're family members and it would be wrong not to tell my brother this or to mm -hmm. tell my mom this. It really hurts them. Uh, if you know, There's been a huge change in my life since I started associating with other more successful business owners. I mean, it, it happened in uh, what 2014 when I started joining the real online marketing masterminds and getting invited to some of the, the top groups in the country and being around guys that were already uh, making you know half a million dollars a month in revenue and up and that's what led me to launch in 2015 and, and finally hit those numbers in 2016 was having those guys in my immediate network if I'd have told <laughs> I love my dad so don't get me wrong but if I'd have told my dad dad I'm gonna go sell supplements online and I'm gonna do you know, $200,000 a month next month in revenue in sales he would have just laughed at me and said you, you like absolutely not. absolutely not there's no, no. way um, but if I told that to those guys, they just said, right, $200,000 a month, you've got 30 days because it's the internet, so let's divide that by 30 days. Uh, um, where are you at at that point? What, $7,000 a day? 6800 $6, bucks a day. Okay, so you've got $6,800 a day, so your net profit, and let's keep this simple, your net profit is $68 per sale. You need to do $100 per sale to get to 200000 in profit for the month. Go. Like, cool, it's doable. Instead, yeah, it's of do like, instead of like, you'll, you'll never, never do that and I'm exactly. going to laugh you out the door. So business owners where people laugh at you, like my poor friend yesterday uh, that was afraid to tell me her dreams. It's really unfortunate. It really is. Um, but I didn't learn that lesson until I was 34 years old. Right. If I'd have learned that lesson at 24 years old and at 24 surrounded myself and gone out of my way to surround myself with successful people, there's kids in the Apex family that I'm in that are 19 and 20 and 21 and they're sitting in a room with guys that are in their 40s that are worth, you know, seven, eight, nine figures. Right. And they're soaking up this information. And man, if I'd have found they're that. They're that much further ahead. Yeah. If because I'd have found, they're starting at mm -hmm. that age. If I'd have found that when I was 24 instead of 34, right. I'd have been so much further ahead. Right. I mean, I've said that about, like, you know, if I had the balls to start my own business sooner mm -hmm. and believed in myself, you know, knew that I could do it because of who I am. Um, I'd be so much further ahead. But, the, but it was it was the same. Like so, now I'm part of this. There's a, a local group. It's called Women Entrepreneurs BCS. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of us in there. But there's um, some of them. Like we've grown like really close as friends. And it's it's been really interesting to me to watch my business and my life change by surrounding myself with those people. Right. Instead of people who are like, why don't you just go get a regular job? Or, oh, okay, that sounds weird or interesting <laughs> cool you know like because like if i like some of the other notable like big sellers that i've had is like uh hammers so for father's day you yes. know just like two dollar hammer yes. and then like engrave, engrave or put vinyl and then seal it on the handle it's like a cute i have one it was a father's right. day gift or we love building things with you daddy right I'm like no you dad just like thanks for nailing mom <laughs> 
Those are really fun for like uh, like pregnancy announcements, like telling dad uh, Father's that's, Day. That's that's kind of funny. Right, but it's that's on really brand for funny. me. Um, and then the other yeah. one was boxers. So like I I saw boxers that on the leg right here, like it says nice and it has a rooster on it. Oh, right. Took a minute. Well, yeah, nice cock. All right. There I you go. It. Yeah. Yeah. I should have timed that. Yeah, that Bless was a little, little bit slow. Or like, um, it's it's not gonna, it ain't gonna suck itself, or it's not gonna, you know, funny, cheeky, but like for for Valentine's Day. And you find, I, I'm assuming those are pretty good sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like, it was because both you can't of those get that at Target. Right. That's the thing is like, I want to make stuff that you can't. Just she go make find onesies anywhere. with all Daddy wanted it was a blowjob. <laughs> all Mommy wanted was a back rub. <laughs> Because your job was hard for like two minutes, right? I, I, <laughs> nothing? No, no nothing? Nothing. No comment. So like no. in each of those instances where I'm like flooded with orders for, for hammers or boxers, you know, my husband would look at me and go, did you ever think that this is what, you know, I was like, no, I didn't have a fucking clue. It mm-hmm. was just something that I was like, hey, what if I just make this? And then it just took off for, you know, that holiday or season mm-hmm. or whatever. It was like super crazy. But, you know, it's like we called our art gallery uh, Well Hung, mm-hmm. which um, 80% of people love and 20% of people hate. Well, um, you're going to attract people and you're going to repel people too. Right. And I would imagine your business does the same thing. Mm-hmm. I imagine you, you, 80% of people go, oh my God, Brittany, this is amazing. So, it's so like funny. if I... If I'm set up at an event, like to be a vendor, mm-hmm. so depending on the event um, and the time of year, sometimes I'll bring some of the boxers. And they, like they don't have horrible graphics or anything right, on them, you right. know. But it's there's two different kinds of people. So the, there's the people that, that walk by and they like clutch their imaginary pearls and they kind of like get red or, and, and they'll just keep yeah. walking. Or yeah. the people that are like, ah, you know, and, they, mm-hmm. and then they like call over their people to come yeah. look at them and there's no middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, everything's like that. I lost friends for the gallery name. They just they said it was rude and sexist, and how could you possibly put that in downtown Bryan? I'm like, because it's because funny. It's fucking funny. It's a penis joke. I mean, it's funny. And yeah, I, well, the ultimate thing we've got is we've got an eggplant. Um, maybe it'll be here by the time this uh, this airs. We've got an eggplant uh, open sign, a neon, with a custom made neon eggplant. That's <coughs> amazing. Media. Yeah, and it, it was it was worth the uh, 120 dollars we spent yeah. to get it custom yeah. made. <laughs> that's cool. So that's gonna be. You said an eggplant. Are you sure? Yes. Yes. A that's neon, really cool. A neon light up eggplant open sign. And I feel like that's that's just part of like branding and and like knowing right. what. What you want your brand to be and knowing like who you want your customers to be right so like you know going into it if you're going to add you know sarcasm or humor or whatever there are going to be people that don't find it funny those aren't your people right it's and, fine but it took me so many years to understand that like when i first started selling real estate which is is it's essentially my primary income right now i uh, i own a real estate company called live in college station uh licensed realtor all that good stuff uh, but when I first started selling real estate, I bought into that myth that you must please everybody mm-hmm. all the time. And I spent my first two years in the business uh, wearing a button-down shirt, wearing a suit jacket, trying to look like a business professional. And what I didn't realize was that because I wasn't a business professional, I didn't resonate with business professionals. Mm-hmm. And because I looked like a tit, I didn't resonate with my target audience. Right, so what I wear now, generally to work, is a black V-neck T-shirt that's maybe just a shade too tight. Comes up to about here. My tattoos show, which is a huge no-no as a realtor. Um, and occasionally, I will say, you know, I, I put out live videos every day uh, on my personal page and on my uh, on my business page. And um, you know, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally, I'll slip the odd swear word in there. There might be a little fuck in there or something like that. And it just reflects who I am mm-hmm. and some people cannot stand it um, I've got some agents that won't talk to me that don't want to work with me I get fined occasionally it it is what it is but you're because being true to yourself the people that now I'm attracting fit the mold of the client that I designed that I wanted to work with mm-hmm. um, I mainly attract guys I mainly um, attract guys that are 10 years younger to 10 years older than me Mainly attract guys that are business owners. Maybe attract guys with a net worth of more than, uh, sorry, a, a gross income of more than $100,000 a year. And I designed who I wanted to attract based on who I was. Right. And it just, everything fell into place. And a lot of business owners, I find, are scared 
of that 20% that will outright reject them and hate them in favor of picking up the 80% that loves them. You right, just have to because I them. want to make everybody happy. And, like, yes. nobody's told them, like, you can retire from that job. Right. and in, in, You're in defining, hurting yourself by doing that. In defining my ideal client, um, it all boiled down to, as well as those uh, demographics to do with age and income and all that, it all boiled down to my ideal client is somebody that already knows me. They already like me. They already trust me. They already know what I do. They know what product I deliver. And when they call me, they're ready to take action. And since then, I haven't really had to chase sales. My so friend, how did that evolve? Was it like you sat down to figure out what client was your perfect client? Yeah. Or were you, did you say, fuck this, I want to be more true to myself, and then it kind of evolved? Uh, a bit of both. Um, a bit of both. I did an exercise, you know, that, that uh, a coach had me do um, to kind of define who I wanted to be, the perfect version of myself. And then... Once I knew who I wanted to be, I had a much easier time defining who I wanted to work with. Okay. And once I could pick out who I wanted to work with, I want to work with guys like me. Right. I want to work with guys like tattoos. Guys, sorry, guys with tattoos. I want to work with guys that are you know, 10 years either side of my age, you know, give or take, and I'm 40. So that's 30 to 50. Okay, I want to work with guys that might be small business owners. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. Maybe they're divorced. Maybe they're bachelors. Yeah, I, I kind of get that. And then, you know, I'd like to work with guys that are the decision makers. Um, nothing against wives, but in real estate, wives can be extremely powerful decision makers. And I, I don't, I mean, I will, but I don't particularly care to work on that side of the business. Right. I, I like to work with bachelors because there's no wives cloud in this decision. And bachelors and, and, and men in general will buy much more based on financial decisions Whereas women will buy far more based on uh, emotional decisions. Mm -hmm. And I prefer the spreadsheets. I prefer the financial side of it. So I figured out who I wanted to work with by figuring out who I was. So just and being then, true to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and most business owners are scared of that. And I, I do notice, you know, you come on the podcast and you say fuck. And, you know, you've got a uh, arms full of tattoos. Yeah. And it hasn't affected your business. It has drawn the people that are like you and the people that think like you and the people that want your help. It's drawn them to you. So uh, if, if you're doing that and if you're, if you're trying to attract everybody and you're making the mistake of, uh, let's say I'm an insurance agent. Well, who do you want to sell insurance to? Well, anybody that needs insurance. Oh, God. <sighs> no, you're doing it wrong. No. <laughs> I feel like that's, it's kind of like, and I've said this about my Etsy shop too, like, because I can make a lot of different things, but I don't have, like, I try and keep it, like, what's the one good thing that I'm, I'm really, really good at that I've perfected because uh -huh. I don't want it to look like the Cheesecake Factory menu. Like, right, I don't want it to Lord, be, like, absolutely yeah. ridiculous, right? Yeah, I think it was but 28 I, pages of yeah, a PDF last like time insane. I went. insane. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's the same way, like, if you're if you're trying to cater to everybody, well, then you never specialize. Right. Right? Right. Well, if you're going to break that down financially, who makes more money? General practitioners or specialists? Specialists. All day Every long. Time. Right. So then what are you doing trying to make everybody happy or cater to everyone? Like, sure, you can sell to anybody. Right. And, you know, but my, is that's everybody is not your target market. But my first year in real estate sales, I was trying to sell to everybody. Because that's what they tell you to that's do or because that's what do. you thought no, you needed to that's do? That's what they tell you to do. you got to take every client, take every lead. They don't tell you how to generate leads and how to connect with people and build relationships and sell them products that they need as a solution to problems that they have. They don't teach that. Um, not in real estate school. I learned that through coaching. I learned that through getting specific sales training and being able to drill down exactly who I wanted to work with. Um, because who do you want to use? I mean, who do you want to do a real estate deal with? Oh, anybody that wants to buy and sell a house. Uh-uh, not true. Not true whatsoever. No. I don't want to deal with a woman in her 50s that's got her priorities messed up and has a trailer house that she needs to sell for $45,000. Don't want to touch it. Sorry, no. But somebody will take that lead. Right. Somebody will work that deal. Right. Um, and, but and I feel like if everybody was being honest with themselves, they would be like you. Like, well, my ideal client looks like this. Right. But they've never been taught that. They've never been shown it. That it's okay to say that out loud mm -hmm. and to go after that client. So on that bombshell, Brittany Lamets, <laughs> it is time to wrap up this week's episode of The Small Business Surgeon. Um, I really, really appreciate you coming on here. Now, before we get off, where can people find you on social media? Um, so on Instagram, the Mind Maintenance Toolbox is kind of what I started um, for coaching and just, you know, like 
tips and helping whatever it's uh-huh. it's a work in progress it's massive and perfect action build it um, build it they will come my uh my etsy e-commerce the doormats and all of that and there's funny sprinkled in there too um is atlas bell studio atlas bell studio a-t-l-a-s B-E-L-L-E uh-huh. studio. Okay, so she put the uh, little E in there to so confuse that us So you all. would know that I'm a woman. Oh, like Belle. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, excellent. All right, so a huge thank you to Brittany for coming out. I want to thank the guys at Texas Media Foundry as well. The Thanks for having me. On Thanks, my shirt. all you guys, for all the fun today. You are welcome. And don't forget, guys, go and follow the uh, group that we've got, the local BCS business owners group, if you're not watching this in there. And then do us a favor, follow the page at Small Business Surgeon and uh, help us to grow this little podcast it will be available for download on itunes if you could leave us a five star rating and a review that would be awesome too we will see you same time next week for episode three of small business surgeon you'll be good stay safe and uh, have a great week this episode of the small business surgeon podcast has been brought to you by the well hung art gallery professionally mounting since 2020 Be sure to listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your silly podcasts. Take care and have yourselves a wonderful day.